0: Dr. Xavier Reese discusses God's wisdom and love as he cares for and directs all things. Providence is the
1: beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. God is not up in heaven saying, oh what do I do now, I didn't expect this, what am I going to do, I got to move this guy around do it. He's not biting his fingernails. He saw everything before it happened.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The word providence comes from the Latin providentia and means essentially foresight or making provision beforehand. When applied to God, the simple truth is that He not only looks ahead to make provision for His goals, but He infallibly accomplishes what He sets out to do. And so today, Pastor Xavier illustrates this in the very theme we find playing out in the Old Testament book of Esther and just how God's divine purposes are achieved, whether with or without the corporation of man. Let's listen.
1: Esther chapter 2. Esther is an interesting book, and I think very important for our Christian lives today. It has many principles, many teachings that we would be amazed of all that we can reap and sow from the book of Esther. Just listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. If there has ever been a perfect example of these verses, it has to be the book of Esther. As God in his providence works in a way that we don't always see clear. How often God has worked in history. How often God has worked in your life and my life, or will work. And it won't be totally clear. That sometimes it won't even make any sense. Habakkuk, the prophet, waiting upon God. God was going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to punish his people. And Habakkuk said, Lord, show me, tell me what you're going to do. And the Lord proceeded to tell Habakkuk, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. He says, Lord, I'm your prophet. And he began to declare how he was going to take a more wicked nation to chasten his own people and put them into captivity. Habakkuk jumped back and says, Lord, I can't believe it. Well, such is the case in the book of Esther. This is the providence of God. God. Let me define for you providence. Providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty, whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. These events include the actions of free agents, which while remaining free... Personal or responsible are also the intended action of those agents. In other words, God works within the world, within our lives, be it believer, non-believer, whatever the difficulty of the situation, in such a way to work out His purposes that He does not violate man's free moral agent of decision. Providence thus encompasses both natural and personal events, setting them alike within the purposes of God. Listen to Ephesians 1.11. It tells us that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. God is not up in heaven saying, Oh, what do I do now? I didn't expect this. What am I going to do? I got to move this guy around. Do it. He's not biting his fingernails. Believe me. He saw everything before it happened. Nothing takes Him by surprise. Peter, in the book of Acts, in the day of Pentecost, in chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put Him to death. Now watch. Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken... God prophesied about it. He foreknew it. He predetermined it. And yet you were the instrument. And yet God never violated their free will to do so. And yet it was fulfilled prophecy. Now we don't understand that it doesn't make sense because you're not God and I'm not God. Nevertheless, God is in control. And so we see God working in spite of men through unusual circumstances and the vehicle being man to bring about the purposes of God in the book of Esther. We are given three scenes in the providence of God in chapter 2 of the book of Esther. The first scene is that of the discouraged king. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Secondly, The disobedient Jews, verses 5 through 14. And thirdly, the decisive God, verses 15 through 23. Let's look at the first scene, the discouraged king, verses 1 through 4. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus, or Ahasuerus, whichever you want to pronounce it, subsided, he remembered Vashti what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the province of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan the citadel into the woman's quarters under the custody of Hadjai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beautiful preparations be given them Then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. The discouraged king. First, he was discouraged because of his defeat against Greece. The first portion of verse 1 says, After these things. After what things? If we look back to chapter 1, there was a big banquet. History tells us, That Ahasuerus went on a campaign against Greece and he was defeated. If you look at chapter 1, verse 3, it says that in the third year of his reign he made a feast. If you look at chapter 2, verse 16, it says that was the seventh year of his reign. There's three to four years between these chapters. It was during this time that he went on his campaign against Greece. Ahasuerus is a title like Pharaoh or King. It isn't a name. And so many times you find this title to other kings, and people are saying, well, this guy is is this king, this guy is the other king. Well, there's a contradiction. And if we study long enough, we'll find out that the Bible substantiates as the inspiration of, of Scripture. No errors. He is believed to be Xerxes of Persia. Xerxes being the Greek translation of Ahasuerus from uh, the Persian language. He reigned from 486 to 465 BC. He was the son of Darius, which is found in Daniel 9, 1. Now Ahasuerus celebrated his campaign against Greece by a six-month banquet. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellency, majesty for many days, 180 days in all. He's gonna go against Greece. He wants to display his splendor, his glory. What better way if you read the account in chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8? He speaks about drinking vessels of gold and silver, all of them being different from one another. Can you imagine throwing a party for six months? Can you imagine the bill? And then he had the nerve at the end of the six months, the last seven days, he invited everybody who lived in the citadel of Shushan. You have to have a healthy bank account to do that. And he was celebrating without doubt, trying to convince these individuals that he was able to conquer Greece, perhaps even soliciting some help. We're not sure, but possibly. Now as the Hachereros went to fight against Greece, He was defeated in the Battle of Salamis in 480 BC at a naval defeat. He was equally defeated at the Battle of Plataea in 479 BC. Now he's back, discouraged. He's bummed out. But he was discouraged also not only because he had been defeated, but he was discouraged because of his decree to dethrone Bashtai. The rest of verse 1 in chapter 2 says that when the wrath of the king Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti what she had done and what had been decreed against her. History tells us and confirms the temper of this king. A storm at sea destroyed one of his bridges. So outraged was he that he had a servant beat the waves of the sea 300 lashes. Another individual, a faithful, loyal servant, desiring to express his loyalty and love for him, offered him a tremendous amount of money on his campaign to battle. The king was so overwhelmed with that loyalty that he refused it and, in fact, returned the favor by giving him a sizely amount of money. That very same servant came back and thinking that he was in favor with the king, requested that his oldest son would be exempted from this campaign only to turn around and to take his eldest son and cut him in two and to have the armies walk and march between the dismembered body. He wasn't someone you would want to get on the wrong side of. Now we better understand when it says, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided. Remember, there's three to four years between this. That's a long time to be mad. But what else can you do when you don't know Christ? What else can you do when you don't have the spirit of the living God? Oh, how we hung on to anger and resentment and bitterness and the shortcomings of life, blaming others, throwing our fits because things did not go our way. Perhaps even now as a Christian, you still are acting the same way, therefore manifesting that you're carnal. It's very possible. Now, his decree was during a drunken stupor in chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. On the seventh day, when his heart was merry, he was a little tipsy, he commanded Mahuman and all these other guys we can't pronounce... Uh, Verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing the royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. Once again, history verifies her beauty. But notice that he decreed that she come, something that was not of custom for women to be in the same room, especially during a feast like this. But because he was intoxicated, he decreed something that he would not have done soberwise how many things men and women do under the influence of alcohol which they regret the day after now today society does not want to face up that man is a sinner and so we don't have alcoholics anymore we have people who have a chemical dependence we don't have drug addicts anymore we have people who have a chemical dependence You know, I don't care what you call it, you might be refined and say, Well, my son regurgitated. To me, it's throw up. (laughs) Something's wrong with our society. Her decree in verse 12, the decree of him was refused. She refused to come in. Without doubt, she was uh, to come in and display herself immodestly. And she refused. Now, his cabinet quickly came to his aid in verse 13 through 22 and his advisors, and they say, hey, listen, what are you going to do, king? If our wives hear of what Queen Vashti did, they will never obey us, and then we will really have some problems in the kingdom. So I'll tell you what, what you need to do is you need to dethrone her. You need to get her off. So this way, when we go home, our wives, when they hear about it, they'll fear us and reverence us, and they'll know that we are the ones in command of the home. Women, grab a hold of this. You better thank God for Jesus Christ, for your freedom. Jesus Christ has liberated you. In their own freedom, supposed freedom, women have become enslaved. They are free to go pursue a career, and now they've got no choice. They've got to go for a career. Interesting. And so, the queen was dethroned. But then in verses 2 through 4 in chapter 2, his determination was to fill a void. The king's servants who attended to him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And at a point in time, they would have a beauty pageant and he would pick one out. Isn't it interesting that we will try to fill the void of our life, whatever it may be, because of past Stupid decisions because of past mistakes. We will do anything to keep our mind busy so that we escape that responsibility or the acknowledgement of our foolishness or error. And so we live a fast life because God forbid we should slow down. We might realize what a mess we've made. And so... The king here demonstrates that each of us have to be careful, that we're not simply just trying to fill that void to escape the acknowledgement of our error. You see, because he would go from one thing to another. History tells us he came back and he just indulged himself in every sort of pleasure he wanted, trying to fill that void, his defeat, his his stupid decree, everything else. Thinking that if I can only get this, if I can only get this girl, this guy, this money, this job, that'll be it. Let me tell you, when you get there, man, you'll have a whole bag of different problems. It's not the girl. It's not the guy. It's not the money. It's not the profession. It's Jesus. That's what it is. Paul says that God has put that emptiness in our heart purposely to be filled by Jesus Christ. There we have the discouraged king. I think we can learn from him, can't we? Because Christians can fall into this very same scene. Then we have the disobedient Jews in verses 5 through 14. Now in Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jokaniah, or Jehoiachin, king of Judah, Whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when Many young women were gathered to Shushan the citadel under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young women pleased him. The young woman, speaking of Esther, pleased him. And she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations for her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, And he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the woman. Esther had not revealed her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the woman's quarter to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed twelve months' preparation according to the regulations for the women, for thus were the days of their preparation a portion, listen women, six months with oil of mirth, six months with perfume and preparation for beautifying women. And so here we have again the emphasis that the world puts on beauty, the outward beauty. It appeals to the flesh because it parades itself around. It exalts itself in having possessions instead of "'enjoying people. "'Thus prepared each young woman went to the king, "'and she was given whatever she desired "'to take with her from the women's quarters "'to the king's palace. "'In the evening she went, "'and in the morning she returned "'to the second house of the women, "'to the custody of of Sheshgaz, the king's eunuch, "'who kept the concubines. "'She would not go into the king again "'unless the king delighted in her "'and called her for by name.'" And if he did call her, it wasn't to play cards. The disobedient Jews. First one is Mordecai the Jew. He is called that in verse 5. He was the son of Kish, a Benjamite. What a resemblance to Saul, the son of Kish, the Benjamite, who was disobedient to God. Now you say, how is Mordecai disobedient, Xavier? Simply by this. He was carried away, verse 6 tells us, in the second siege of Jerusalem in 597. God had declared that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years, but God equally said that after the 70 years, he would bring them back to the land. What in the world is Mordecai doing in Persia? Now, you must put the book of Esther between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. Chapter 7, verse 1, Ezra returns to Jerusalem. Mordecai and Esther should have been there with him as well as all the rest of the Jews. Less than 60,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple, as we have studied Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah millions were still scattered through the kingdom what were they doing there let me suggest to you that they were out of the will of God they were supposed to be in Jerusalem if there was no Jews in Persia there would have been no danger to them isn't it interesting when we try to build our own safety our own security we're in the greatest danger isn't it interesting when we try to figure out God, we can be in the greatest of trouble? Now, he wasn't a young man. He was an older man. He opted out for the comfort, the contentment, and the safety that Persia offered. So he thought. The second individual is Hadassah or Esther. Hadassah, her Hebrew name, which means myrtle. Esther, her Persian name, which means star. Verse 7 says she was a cousin to Mordecai. She had been taken in and raised by him after her father's death. A commendable thing. But yet there are many things that we can do that are commendable before the eyes of men. Commendable to those who we impart that service to. But yet be in disobedience before the eyes of God on other areas. And yet how often man tries to parade his commendable works to make up his disobedience with God in other areas. We have to be careful. Come on, we all get together and we say, oh, look what the Lord did. He opened this door and he used me this and I did that. I would love for us to sit down and talk about our failures. I would love somebody to say, you know what? I failed the Lord this week. I went out and fornicated. I blew it. Or with a sincere heart where there's repentance, I can pray with you and rejoice with you. Now, I'm not saying that we should come in here and parade our sins around it. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is sometimes we deceive ourselves within the body of Jesus Christ. And we put off something that really isn't there.
0: Pastor Xavier is just at the beginning of the very compelling story of God and His providence as we find it within the simple truths of the book of Esther. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to come of this study right here next time as well. And if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy for your own continued study. The title to ask for is The Unseen Hand of God, and it's available on CD for only $4. And this would be a great tool you can pass along to someone in your church or Bible study once you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is The Unseen Hand of God, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station and all your correspondence. This is one way we have of checking on the impact of this outreach. We know that humans have a free will but we also know that God is sovereign. More on how these two simple truths happen together coming up next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California